Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. <laughs> Gone with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Did you know that this was Leonard Skinnerd, or did you simply hear this was a plane crash? I heard it was a plane crash, and I ever knew who we were eight. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. I'm Joe Burns, and Tammy is not with us today. So you know what that means. We have an interview, and I consider it one of the greatest interviews we've ever had on the show. Today we'll be speaking with Bobby McDaniel. He goes by the nickname The Governor. He was one of the first people to arrive at the crash of the Leonard Skinnerd airplane October 20th 1977, which came down close to the land his family owned at the time. He is quite candid about what happened and what his role was in the crash recovery. To that end, I'm going to play the entire interview with very few musical interruptions. Please enjoy Bobby, the Governor, McDaniel. On the phone with me is Bobby McDaniel. His nickname is The Governor, a nickname he's had all the way back since 1968. And Mr. McDaniel, you were one of the first people to arrive at the Leonard Skinnerd plane when it crashed. Is that true? Uh, that's correct, Joe. Uh, I was early uh, at the crash site uh, uh, the night of October the 20th. 1977. Now, take us through that day. It, it, the The day was a Thursday, and it didn't happen till seven o'clock at night. What were you doing during the day on Thursday? What was your uh, What was your work? Uh, at that time, I was 22 years old and just starting my business in car audio. I was a uh, a graduate of Southwest Community College, uh, and they were having a football game that night that I was preparing myself to go see. Now, what what happened with the plane crash? Did you hear it? Did you see it? And tell me the tell me the idea of learning about it uh, before it happened. Even though my family farm is within a mile of the crash site, I was in Macomb at the time, and possibly heard it on one of the first breaks on the radio station, WHNY, that there was a plane crash outside of Magnolia. So you didn't see the plane go down. You learned about it through reports. That is correct. So did it go down on your family's farm or on another person's uh, property? It was on other people's property. My family farm 
uh, like I said, is within a half a mile of a crash site. So what did you do? You heard about it. You obviously had a car because you were outside of the house. How'd you, how did you get there? Because I understand it's not a very easy place to get to where the plane landed. I was a member of the Pike County Civil Air Patrol earlier and still somewhat active with the Civil Air Patrol. I got in my car and switched my CP radio to channel 12, of which the Silver Air Patrol monitored. I asked for the location, and I had them to repeat it three times. Huh. Because they was directing me straight to my family farm. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that would be it. So, uh, again... How did you get there? Did you park and walk, or how did you make it to the site? I drove my car uh, to, which was actually Johnny Moat's house. I could see where there was somewhat of a command center being put together, and I just kind of walked up into the group, you know, silently. Yeah. And uh, a family friend of ours that uh, drove the ambulances there was only two ambulances in Pike County, but drove one of the ambulances, suddenly grabbed me by the back of the neck and started taking me over to his ambulance. That was Eddie Warren Smith. Mm -hmm. As he put me into the ambulance, he was explaining the other ambulance was stuck along with patrol cars in the pasture and they had to cross a creek. Was there another way to the crash site? And I explained that there was a ridge on the backside that I squirrel hunted a good bit. So uh, we drove the ambulance on P.P. Wilson Road and then turned back into a logging road. Uh, and the ambulance only made it about 200 feet. You know, the logging road was you know, grown over. And he stopped because he didn't want to destroy the ambulance. And I got out and went to the crash site. Tell me what you now, saw. What did it look great, like? The greatest thing I contributed to the rescue of that night was there were two helicopters that was on some kind of a, a mission, a, a practice mission, and they were flying back to Slidell, Louisiana. And apparently they heard about the crash and came to the location and turned their locator beacon on and started a rescue pattern or a search pattern. The Wayne Easley and others, you know, watched those helicopters do the search. And once they stopped and threw their uh, spotlights down on the wreckage, that's where rescuers came from ever which direction to where the spotlight was shining. Now, you said you were one of the early ones to the crash. How many people are we talking about that made their way to where the spotlights were shining? Uh, I'm going to quote Brenda Martin as many, many people say they were the first ones there. I will you'll admit that I was not the first one there. And Brenda says, how do you know? Did they have a guest book yeah. when you signed in? <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
there would have been 20 or 30 people around the plane whenever I got there. And again, I was fell into a plane crash. I had in my mind, it was a small Cesta plane crash. Right. And whenever I arrived, I actually you know, walked over one of the wings of the plane that was torn off, say, 100 foot away. And I was, you know, kind of like amazed. Hey, man, this is like a crash here. What are y'all doing over there? It and was, yeah, that big again, a plane. When I got to the, you know, the plane crash, and uh, it was nothing what I expected. It was chaotic. It was a huge plane uh, mangled all in the woods and the swamp. And I just went to one spot and assisted my aide in that one area uh, for the rest of the night. What was your aid? I read on a NOLA news report, I think it was the 40th anniversary, that you carried stretchers out. Is that correct? Yes, that was later. But uh, we were getting the uh, injured and the victims out of the plane. There were several tears in the fuselage as well as the rear of the plane door. Uh, and that's where most people came aboard the plane was through the rear door and the tail section. But uh, we were able to bring the people out these openings in the fuselage. Now, in this plane, they were not like a regular flight. Because it was a charter flight, you know, they walked in, they set the suitcases down, they set the guitars down, they set whatever down. And whenever the crash happened, all of this stuff compacted to the front of the plane where the actual Mm. band members were seated. You had to, you know, remove three or four things to get to a person. And sometimes they were still strapped into the seat and had to cut the seat belts to get the people out. So it did take you know, a while to, you know, get a person out. And as they handed them out of the plane, it would have been about a four, five, or six foot, uh, you know, drop to the ground. But we would take them and lay them out, kind of triage them. Dr. Hank Lewis was there. He was from the hospital. And uh, he came down on the first ambulance. So he was the great help on kind of triaging the patients. Did you know that this was Leonard Skinnerd, or did you simply hear this was a plane crash? I heard it was a plane crash, and I, just like Dennis Wilson, Jamie Wall, Dwayne Easley, and multiple others there, never ever knew who we were aiding. When did you learn who it was that you aided? The stretchers that you were talking about took a while to get there. We kept 
you know, hollering and asking for stretchers. And finally, some stretchers arrived. I actually understand that there was some folding lawn chairs that came earlier and maybe took one or two out laying in these lawn chairs. But I made uh, several trips with the stretcher kind of through the swamp, across the creek, and up into the pasture where we were able to put them in the back of a pickup truck or a van or something like that that was able to travel across the pasture up to the road to where uh, the ambulance was actually you know, awaiting. But uh, I can't tell you if it was two hours, three hours. I, I don't know what kind of time it was. But we had everyone out of the plane except the pilot and the co-pilot. It was obvious that they had died. The front of the plane was very mangled up. And uh, basically the rescue and mostly recovery was over with. Uh, my father had drove a tractor over to the site and I had gotten word that he had cut the tire down on the tractor. And so I started walking out to find my father to get to see if I could help him. We were two or 300 yards from the crash site when a neighbor friend of mine, Ed Lansing, came running up and says, Bobby, Bobby. I heard that's Leonard Scudder's plane. The reaction on my face must have told a story. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what my reaction was, but I had seen three of the Leonard Skinner concerts up until that time. Really? Where did you see them? The look on my face, he responded to me saying, but don't worry, Bobby, I think Leonard's going to be okay. <laughs> he didn't understand there was nobody named Leonard. Yeah. Right. So did you ever go into the fuselage? You said the wings were off about 100 feet away from the fuselage. Did you yourself ever go into the fuselage? No. So you, you helped people down to it, and you say it was sitting about 10 feet off the ground. No, I would say somewhere around three to four, five feet okay. off the ground. We need to take our first break and allow the affiliates a moment to play their sponsors. We'll be back to continue our interview with Bobby, the Governor McDaniel, on Rock School. Now, there's a story that the drummer, Artemis Pyle, although he had broken ribs, walked away from the crash site and ran into a local who greeted him with a shotgun. Have you heard that story? Do you know who that person is? I've heard that story many times. Arnibus Powell is a Marine. Mm -hmm. He is a great drummer. Arnibus is a pilot. He was a vegetarian. Arnimus was probably the most fit person on the plane physically. And 
that's about all I can say good about Artemis. Yeah. Artemis has exaggerated and has told stories to aid his appearance in the plane crash. But Artemis was the only person that was not admitted into the hospital October the 20th. Artemis got out of the plane and there was three others that were the walking wounded. Ken Apeden, Mark Frank, and Steve Lauer. Artemis felt like he knew the direction the plane was headed. He could see through the woods a little light area thinking that that was where the plane was trying to get to, the pasture. And he told the other three that they needed to walk out to get help. He said, now as we walk and you need to watch out. This is swampy, there's snakes, and there's alligators. Well, we've got the snakes and it was swampy, but I don't think there were many alligators in there. <laughs> okay. But Steve Howard, Steve uh, Lauer, being from West Texas, whatever, said alligators, and he was, of course, in shock, and he refused to go. So the three of them walked out, Artemis, Mark Frank, and Ken Peden, which was actually from Pascagoula, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. They crossed the creek and walked across the pasture. The pasture was... Uh, a farm, uh, a dairy farm of Johnny and Brenda Moat, M-O-T-E. Mm -hmm. Johnny had been putting out hay for his cows after he had milked. And he heard the crash and actually thought it was a, a cart wreck on the gravel road and actually looked up and down the road and did not find anything and came back to finish putting the hay out. He looked across the pasture and saw the three of them walking deep down in his pasture right at dusk. Mm -hmm. The strangest thing was they had been a jailbreak in Pike County uh -huh. several days before. Uh -huh. That came to Johnny's mind and he went to his truck and he did not have any gun or anything in his truck. So he drove down to the house trailer that he and Brenda were in. This farm was originally Brenda Martin's family farm that Johnny was farming. Johnny goes into the house trailer. Brenda is, I believe, seven months pregnant, and he tells her to hide. Those oh. jailbreak guys oh, are outside. Man. Okay. Oh, Johnny yeah. gets his deer rifle and loads his deer rifle and walks out. And about that time, they are climbing over the fence a good 150 feet, 200 feet from Johnny's trailer. 
and they're climbing over the fence, crossing the road, and they were hollering and waving. Now, you can imagine what they looked like in 1977. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Classified as hippies, long hair, dressed, you know, kind of rough, but just been through an airplane crash. Sure. <laughs> and they were hollering and, you know, was trying to get Johnny to realize that they needed help. And Johnny is thinking there's a jailbreak. And he hollers, stop, stop, I will shoot. They continue walking toward him. Oh, dear. And he takes their rifle and points it into the air and does fire one shot. Mm. After then, they did convince Johnny that they had been in an airplane crash. Johnny welcomed Artemis into the house, which he made two phone calls, and Kim Keaton and Mark Frank stayed outside. The Gillsburg Volunteer Fire Department and others started arriving at that time. Ken Peden and Mark Frank walked out to Highway 568 and flagged down a car, and they were the first two to arrive at the hospital. Arnimus and some of the Gillsburg Fire Department started walking back in to the crash site, and that's whenever the helicopters came over. Right. I, I, I'm telling you, Governor, I've never heard that. It's always, maybe it's Artemis Pyle's story, but it's always that some Louisiana farmer just pulled a gun on them. I'd never heard the story of there being a jailbreak previous. Uh, not many people know that. They but do now. <laughs> we'll get on TV and pull his shirt back and show right above his left breast the bullet wound of where Johnny shot him. Wait, I thought you said he shot into the air. I said Arnimus will get on TV oh, yeah. and show that Arnimus never was shot. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That I, I have to tell you, that's that is shocking to everything I have uh, I have ever read. long did this obviously uh, like i said the the crash was right around 7 p.m how long did the rescue mission take was it an all-night affair i feel like we were out of the woods sometime around 11 or 12 mm-hmm. i don't know i mean that was the last thing i was looking at was the watch by that point in time were all the people and the four that had deceased out of the airplane 
no. Oh. Well, yes and no. The four that had deceased were out of the band. The pilot and the co-pilot were not out. Mm-hmm. Three of the band members, Ronnie Van Zant, uh, Cassie, and Dean Kirkpatrick, which had been with the band since the beginning, but he was not an instrument player. Right. He was more just a constant roadie. They were uh, dead. And I, along with a couple others, loaded them into the back of Dennis Wilson's pickup truck. We put hay in the back in the back of the truck and we laid all three side by side in the back of the truck uh. and he took them to the hospital morgue. Stephen, we feel like, possibly left the site alive. Uh, he very well could have been dead, but uh, he was he he died before he got to the hospital. I just have to thank you to think you know i know it's only hay but you were dealing with an area that didn't have a lot and you still treated the three of them with great respect even though you knew they had passed you still treated them with great respect and there i have to thank you for that that was a that was a great thing you did that showed the respect for people and i I, again i can't thank you enough for that Of of the whole thing that happened that night that's what I remember the most. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got the ones that were alive out, and then the three dead were laying there. And we said, okay, what do we do now? And uh, I believe Dennis had been assisting in getting the, the live ones out. And uh, he just said, well, we can take them in my truck. And so I think I was the first of three stretchers that came out and I got up in the back of the pickup truck and was bringing you know each of the three and laying them carefully in the bed of the truck and that's probably my most vivid memory of that night goodness uh how has that night affected you I know you've done a lot of interviews and sir you should do it because people are interested and I thank you for doing this one how did the night affect you I had seen some tragedy previously and had been around you know some accident scenes mostly car accidents uh, I feel like I was prepared to go in find a job and do that job yeah and all I did that night I was focused and trained on that and it was more or less like I was in a pattern or in a zone and once I walked out and after I ran into my neighbor that told me it was Leonard Skinner plane it kind of snapped out of it but uh even though it was you know, a half a mile from my family farm. It was 15 or 20 years before I stepped back to that spot. Oh, goodness. Have you done any kind of, of work on that therapy, anything like that? Or is it something you work through yourself? 
have no therapy. Just, you know, work through it. It was just one of the things that happens in life. Do you know when the pilots were taken out the next day? No, I do not know. Okay. And much of what I have told you is hearsay from other rescuers. Right. And I have taken from them pieces and put together to fit the best that I, you know, can. So, you know, a lot of what I've told you is not firsthand knowledge. I understand. It is information from other rescuers. But uh, there was a couple of tractors there that night, and they had hooked to and started trying to pull the plane apart. Some people say they did get the pilot and co-pilot out. Others says it was the next morning before the pilot and the co-pilot was gotten out. I, I did want to ask you about that. The It's an airplane. It's a Convair, very large airplane. Uh, obviously, once all the people and the bodies are out, the airplane had to be removed. It isn't there anymore. How was it taken out? The Convair 240 was built in 1947. It was the first airline plane that was a tri-wheel plane. Previous to then, it was the DC-3 that was a tail dragger. So the plane was a pretty historic plane, you know, at that era time. The plane originally had 40 airline seats. Half of the airline seats were taken out of the front of the plane and turned into a tour plane. They had a galley put in, couch, some kind of reclining type chairs, tables. And that's where your band was mostly sitting in some of these nicer seating. But even though it was nicer seating, it was not airline seating. And it did not protect them like the seats more toward the rear of the plane that the roadies and the other members were sitting in. Mm-hmm. The plane was serial number three. 30 years from 1947 to 1977 is not actually old whenever you're talking about aircraft. But this plane was not maintained as well as it should have been. <laughs> Time for our second break. Back in a minute to continue speaking with Bobby, the Governor McDaniel, on Rock School. Okay! 
Wayne was taken out and taken to Brickhaven to B&O Welding Company. And they reassembled the plane to the FAA standards. Wow. Uh, you know, in that particular shop in Brickhaven. Wow. That, wow. And... And and we we know why the plane went down. That there was just a, not any fuel. They were trying to get to Macomb Airport. How close did they get, Governor? They were ten miles, ten air miles from the Macomb uh, Pike County Airport, which uh. we often refer to as the Fernwood Airport. Is it still open? Yes, it and is. They have uh, made a lot of it improvements to that airport and uh and it, it had only been open four or five years it, it, the original airport was inside the city limits of macomb and they stepped out and built the new airport which we were very very proud of have you had any contact with members or the families of the people in the crash since then yes who have you spoken to? We unveiled the Leonard Skinner Monument October the 20th, 2019. We uh, worked and reached out to every person or family member of people that were on the plane that we were able to contact. At the unveiling of our monument, I was able to have Judy Van Zandt, which was Ronnie's widow, mm -hmm. Melanie, his daughter, yes. and two of Ronnie Van Zandt's grandchildren. Also, Stephen James's daughter and two of his grandchildren. And they are the ones that unveiled the monument. Right. We had five of the survivors off the plane that were mainly roadies that were there. And I believe that we had 14 total families, or family members or members themselves uh, of the plane crash. 14 of the 26 were at the uh, unveiling of the monument. Now, the monument is, it's exit 8. Am I right about that in Mississippi? That is correct. Right. We stopped and looked at it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. There are three vertical granite stones. I assume they're granite. And then a placard in front of it. Did you have anything to do with the memorial? Were you interviewed? What happened? Recently, and I say within the last 10 years, several of us rescuers would go back to the plane crash site each October 20th. And we would just get together and just talk, discuss, you know, things. And it was a lot of times, it was the only time the entire year that we would ever see each other. Yeah. But we walked back out and was sitting around a, a, a little bonfire that evening of 2018, and we were discussing how many Leonard Skinner fans 
drive out that way looking for the plane crash site. They would drive up into our yards. Uh, they actually had walked out of the pasture and flagged someone down and got them off of the tractor asking where the plane site crash site was. But due to that, and so many people asking, the suggestion came up to put a fine, a metal sign out on the road stating the litter skittered plane crashed near this site. Mm -hmm. From October the 20th, 2018 to October the 20th, 2019, exactly one year, that metal sign turned in to the granite monument that you spoke of. Yes. $58,000 had been raised through donations uh, to put that monument up. The the people who own the land, let's go back before the monument. You put that sign up that said the Leonard Skinner plane crashed close to this sign is the the sign never never was put up that was discussion oh okay okay and then that sign turned into the granite monument the granite monument all right now i understand the actual crash site is that still owned by the forgive me if i get the name wrong is that still owned by the moat family no it was not on the moat family farm being a country boy, uh, and many of your listeners have always heard of the 40 or the back 40, yeah. such as that. That's 40 acre sections that the land was originally sold for back in the 1800s. And a lot of those 40 acre sections are still marked off very well by fence or by road or by tree line. The plane crashed almost on the top of 440s where they meet. And all four of the 40s were owned by different people. Ah, okay. That is one thing that makes it difficult to get to the crash site is you almost have to have permission from two different groups of people to go to the crash site. Has there ever been a discussion about making the actual crash site part of the monument, creating some kind of boardwalk to it? Yes, it has been that discussion. Uh, And people have actually criticized us for not putting our monument at the actual crash site. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I walk back to the crash site, I can see where two foot of water has gone over the ground from the creek swelling during rain. So I said it was a swampy area. It floods. That creek right there is very unpredictable. Uh, The night that the crash, you know, the creek only had 18 inches of water in it at the area where we crossed. Yeah. But other times it could have 12 foot of water in it. Well, Governor... And once again, I'm going to say your, your, your given name, Bobby McDaniel. But Governor, you did a wonderful thing. You did a wonderful thing, and it was 
as is always, you didn't ask for it. It simply happened, but you rose to the challenge and uh, you deserve the accolades to, you know, that are bestowed upon you. And I, I can't say thank you enough to, you know, to have spent this 40 minutes talking to me. Thank you. Well, as, you know, been said, you know, we were just simply country boys out there, you know, doing our everyday jobs. We did not ask for the Leonard Skinner plane to come down there. Uh, the Lord may have put it down there knowing that there were some people that could step up to help. And uh, I did nothing more than dozens of others that were there aiding that night. Yeah, but you, but you did it. That's the selling point. But you did it. Bobby McDaniel, governor, that's how you go by. Thanks for spending about 40 minutes with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and I appreciate you all getting our word out. Uh, the Leonard Skinner Monument uh, is off of I-55 at exit 8, and we are 8 miles west of the interstate on Highway 568. There's good signage that would direct you to the monument site, and the monument is open 24-7. Right. Three, five days a year, and it's never a charge to come to the monument. It is free to everyone. I noticed that. I thought there would be something like that, but no, it's wide open. Just walk up. That's correct. We yeah. have uh, lighting that comes on at night to assist you. Uh, we have a very good camera security system. And again, we have not had a single problem with the people visiting our monument. And they are very respectable. And uh, I have met some of the greatest people in the world, you know, right there at that monument. Wonderful. Governor, thank you for speaking to me. Yes, Joe, thank you for getting our word out.